Have you ever wondered why leading and influencing others is so darn hard? Are you sitting on the sidelines wondering, did career management change and I didn't get the memo? Are you tasked with engaging employees in ways that produce high-performing, inclusive cultures? If you said yes to any of these, then welcome to my podcast, Closing the Gap with Denise Cooper. Here, I interview experts and other leaders who have broken the code and are navigating complex issues and uncertainty. They set goals for themselves, their teams, and their organization, and over time, close the gap between where they are today and where their vision leads them for tomorrow. Listen as we tell the truth about leading and career navigation and offer practical lessons that work for everyone. Twice a month, I have my special guests, special friends, special thought leaders on. And today it is Pam Brooks Richardson. Richard, excuse me. I don't know why I want to call you Richardson. And just to remind you, Pam is the person who helped design and runs the leadership programs at ASU, uh, Arizona State University, and continues to help organizations with executive staffing and team building. So she's certified in Benita Brown's Dare to Lead. She's been a good friend of mine. We've gone through conversational intelligence, Brene Brown. And if you could see the amount of books in both of our offices, (laughs) you you would know that both of us are avid readers. (laughs) And if you need a book on today, we're going to talk about culture and culture change. So let me just put that out there. We're going to deep do a deep dive into all the words that get tossed around. But have you ever really thought about what that toss around uh, when you say the word culture? What is it? How does it get defined? Why should we care? And what can we do to trans if you're not happy as a leader with the culture you have right now or even as an employee? If you're not happy with the culture you have right now, how do you transform it? How do you make inroads into transforming it into something that creates a powerhouse in the marketplace? So that's what we're going to talk about today. Hey, Pam, how you doing? I'm doing well. I am so excited to be back. I think we missed last month. <laughs> <laughs> not in terms you of podcast. You are too busy. <laughs> Oh, that's what happens when we have busy schedules, right? Mm-hmm. So what's the fun thing you're doing this this time around? Working with an international company right now that is trying to move from silos to matrix. And oh my. the challenge of doing that internationally with, you know, still COVID and pulling people together is, is a lot of fun. And you talk about culture. Yeah, we've been getting together about what does it take for a company like that to define their culture. Yeah. And, um, yeah. Some fun okay. Stuff. Two two questions from that. One is when you say international, what countries are we talking about? Uh, we're talking about Asia, mm-hmm. uh, UK mm-hmm. and United States. OK. And then second, um, when you say we're getting together, who's in the room? Uh, well, I've got their HR people from each of the different locations, mm-hmm. um, their head of HR, their CEO. And I have met with their entire executive leadership team. OK. All right. So, hey, as, as you're learning, take notes here. Who's in the room is really important for this process. So ah. we're going to go back to the ABCs of culture here. So, Pam, let's talk about what is culture? Um, you know, I've, I've been diving into that a lot this week and you hear things like what culture does. So they say 94 percent of respondents in a recent study by Bamboo HR 
think that culture is the most important thing and that the, the culture is the brand and that if we have a good culture, we're going to be productive. Like you hear all those things, but then it's like, what is culture? What is that? What can we put our finger on and what does that say? And it's fascinating because when you start going down and say, okay, give me an example of culture. You're going to hear things like, well, it's it's the way that assignments are doled out. Are they fair or not fair? Did everybody get a chance at it? Um, what are the opportunities for advancement and how do we go about that process? Uh, how do employees collaborate? What's the dress code? Uh, what pressures do we have if, oh my God, I have to report in sick for the second time because I've got COVID? What, how do we celebrate birthdays? Like, How do we recognize and celebrate things that are important? How do different teams get to it? So you think about that. And if we ask people what defines culture, it's like Brene talks about or Gottman talks about in relationships. You know, trust is built in small moments. Cultures are built in the small moment interactions that we do on a regular basis. And so when I have worked with groups and we talk about, okay, what do we want to do to transform culture? Well, let's go, what are your values? And not the values on the wall, but do the people know what that value means in my day-to-day operations, my day-to-day behaviors that I carry out and how I interact with my peers, my team. And if I'm a leader, how do I lead the people that I work with? And so if we can't define that, then we can't define our culture. It'd be interesting to see how many people listening to this can actually, okay, so sit back, think about what your, where you work, what your company is. If you're an executive or an entrepreneur and you're dealing with both people who are working for you or vendors, et cetera. Small moments on what defines your culture is really how do you make decisions on how you're going to decide what the priorities are? Yeah. How you're going to treat people, your communication style, or do you prefer emails over face-to-face? Do you do team chats? Is it inappropriate to say no? And how do you say no? How do you talk to one another? Is it fast and only focused on tactical, task-oriented kinds of things? Or do you start your meetings with, hey, how you doing? What, what happened over the weekend? What's exciting in your life? Those are all the ways and methods that these tiny moments are defining what's going on. And, you know, when I was... Um, when I was interviewing for jobs, one of the things I'd always ask is, so tell me, how do people get fired around here? What what do they get fired for? <laughs> I mean, you think about that. It, it, and I always look for it, you know, oh, well, you know, we we don't we don't really fire people. Oh, OK. That tells me something about your culture. Probably conflict averse. Right. Yep. Oh, oh, well, you know, um, we we just write them up. We take them through a long process and then we you know, give them that last day. And I say, oh, okay, do you fire people on Mondays or Fridays? Oh, it's always Fridays. We, we just don't want it because we don't, and it's always at three o'clock because we don't want, you know, everybody to know. Oh, okay. <laughs> oh no, we just, you know, we go in, security goes in, they box everything up and then we just kind of, okay, so do you do the green mile thing, right? <laughs> yeah. It's all definitions of culture, right? They, they define yeah. what that looks like. Those are defining moments. Absolutely. And they send ripples through a company. Oh yeah. Everybody gets the message and they interpret it any which they interpret it through their lens. The extra layer. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 So, okay. So we kind of know what culture is and I've asked you all sit back, define the culture, think about it. 
what what are some of the defining moments in your culture and your interactions with other people that let you know what's okay to do and what's not okay to do, what's okay to say and what's not okay to say, and how you need to show up. So next question is, you know, we're hybrid, right? And you're dealing with this international company. They don't always show up, right? It's tough because we're supposed to lean on these other people, yet we don't know them. And some of them are new and some of them have been there for years. And we don't know how to lean exactly or trust them. So we still kind of like hang on and hold on to what we have. And so it's an interesting, it's an interesting thing to try to define how do we bring the the group together? They will be coming together for the first time in about a month. Mm-hmm. And so it's a very calculated, how are we going to bring them together and how do we work to break silos, build the relationships in small moments during that time so that when they go back, they feel like there's some things that they can lean on and reach out to others about. There was an article that I read by Gallup this last week written by Nikki Morin and Heather Barrett called Don't Confuse Being in the Office with Culture, which is also kind of that, you know, when I when I met with everybody, I could tell that there were subcultures, like each of the major mm-hmm. areas kind of had their subculture. And so what they're going to need to come together at is what is the defining culture that's not associated with potentially face-to-face interaction? What is the larger thing that the company is going to say, here's what we stand for. And here's as a collective, how do we make decisions that that point you made in the beginning? Like, do I make the decision because it's best for me here in in my area? Or do I make this collectively because I'm going to take it on the chin, but as a company, we're going to get where we need to go. So what's the process that you kind of have them thinking through? Individually. So I want to say it's got to come top down. You've got to have the CEO in the room. A lot of the things that we read when we talk about culture, if it doesn't start with the high leadership, Mm -hmm. it's not going to happen. If Mm -hmm. they can't model it, people are going to go, yeah, whatever. Right. And so that's, that's really important. The other part is to then bring them together because they've been in a state of transition for a while. And you think about any team that's been gone, come back on, come back, You've got to take a moment and go, where are we at right now? And what do we stand for? Even if you had something to find, something's probably changed in that loo. And there's been those micro interactions and things that have been happening that are shifting the culture without us consciously realizing it. Yeah, We need to bring that to the conscious level and go, okay, what is it that we want to stand for again? What is it that's really important to us? And then backstep. And if that's what's really important, how does that affect the decisions we make? How does that affect how we work with each other across boundaries? How does that work when we're in office? How does that work about the talk we have of each other? Like, Mm -hmm. you know, you think about the vault that Brene talks about, like, what are our vault tolerances in how we put, you know, because all of my know are creating stories in their head in the uncertainty of not knowing. Mm -hmm. How do we start to contain those stories so that we work to ground them, find out what's really happening instead of letting the stories in our head start to dictate our anxiety or fear and dictate then how we respond to what's going on. Mm -hmm. We have to do a very conscious top down. Here's what we're really striving for. Here's the values that are important and then take that down to see what's going on. But it's also a process that we have to raise people's awareness to what they're doing. Yeah. You know, I mean, you think about it on a day to day basis. I don't go, oh, this is how I'm going to interact with Denise this morning. No. Right. 
I know how we interact based on how we've interacted in the past. And we kind of just build on that. But sometimes it's really good just to sit back and go, God, what are we doing? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, wow. Like I had no idea. Like, okay. So now, like, if you take that and you go to the work by David Rock and Carol DeWick on building that learning culture, what then are the small things that we can do? If we go, this is the value, like respecting each other is the value that we have. How does that come down to a simple day-to-day greeting that Mm -hmm. we choose Mm -hmm. to put into place? Because a lot of people will go, okay, we're going to transform our culture. And they put that big lofty thing out there and they do the big thing and say, okay, here's what we value. And that's really awesome. And then they kind of stop and go, that was really cool. And we just anticipate that everybody's going to read that value and go, cool, I buy into it. And we go. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Everybody reads that value, interprets it from their own thing. And if they don't have passion for it, it ain't going to cause a behavior change. Well, it's not only passion, it's meaning. So similar meaning, not that we're ever going to get everybody. I I always say if we could get everybody in the same block, (laughs) (laughs) you know, you know, we want them in the same country, want them in the same city, you know, kind of thing. But if you can get them in the same block, then you have a better idea or a better way in which you're going to have more, you know, people acting in the same way and understanding what's appropriate, what's not making decisions such that we're, we're aligned in our decision-making and how we choose to treat people and communicate with people and execute on those decisions in the, in the workplace period. Well, they, they talk about transformation, what we even know from understanding the, the science evaluation with one of the reports that we've used, it's head, heart, and hands. Mm-hmm. Like there's, there's the knowledge arising that we have to do. We have to provide them with enough information that there's a mutual, at least agreed upon somewhat understanding and appreciation for what the value is, mm-hmm. right? Like th- that, that's a starting point, mm-hmm. but then we have to do it in a way that that person goes, God, yeah, that's really important. That, that really resonates with my values. That really resonates with what's important to me. So now I've got that passion of conviction, but then we also have to take it to that that system side or the behavior side, and then go, what does this mean in terms of something I'm going to change today Right. in what I do? Or can I recognize the things that I am already doing that are going to move in that direction? And the work that David Rock talks about is that sometimes we look at these global things and we don't break them down to just a couple small moments of saying, Here's the new policy. Here's the new system. Here's the new something that's just a, you know, it's like when we get up in the morning and we decide what we're going to eat. If we decide that we want fruit and we make sure that we have apples in the house, we will probably eat apples. If we don't have apples in the house, we're going to default to something else. And so when we have certain times where we can have a defining moment and we have the choice between, you know, the apple or the croissant. If we go, look, from here on out, we're going to try the apple. Like we're, we're going to, we're purposely going to try it. And, and it's an incremental, like both are serving the same purpose, but we're going to try it a certain way. Right. And that's, we have to break it down or a person has to break it down on their individual level of saying, yeah, I really believe in this. And here's the things I know I'm already doing. Like to, you got to brainstorm and go, God, I'm actually living that in a lot of ways. But if you go, God, where am I not living that? And then consciously think about a couple of things and go, okay. Here's the one that I know I need to change because this one's probably creating the most negative impact on the culture. And then devote like, what's the little thing I'm going to tweak to make that happen? You know, and I mean, 
overall, there's obviously, they do a lot of discussions about the difference between the learning culture and a, a culture that, that doesn't have that growth mindset, as Carol DeWick says. And what- Well, wait a minute, wait a minute, slow down. How do we know we have a culture that doesn't have a growth mindset? Because culture evolves. It's not a static. True. When, when you look at learning mindset, um, as an example, they'll say, how do people respond to a, a, a difficult situation, we'll say? Do they see it as a threat or do they see it as a challenge? So that's that lens that we can put on it. So, right. for example, in threat, they focus on the problem. And as a challenge, a learning mindset, they focus on a solution. If they feel threatened, they're going to get bogged down in details. Whereas if they look at it with the learning mindset, they see an eye at the long, the big term goal. What are we really striving for? Let's keep weighing back into that. They could, you know, in the threat, they, they like, we're just going to maintain the status quo. Like we've been threatened, like, here we go. No, we've got to focus on what's going to make things better. Not just the day to day, but what, what's actually going to create a change today that's going to affect a positive thing tomorrow instead of just going, oh, we're going to maintain, right? Mm-hmm. Under threat, most people get very anxious and defensive, and that's really easy to see in an organization. And anxiety is so contagious. <laughs> it takes yeah, money. Yeah, yeah. And if we don't go, hey, it's okay, let's address that, but let's not address that now. Like, if we don't do something to stop that, it will just like, and I, I really notice that in the company I'm working at. But it's, it's not just, you know, because I have to remind people that it's not just the words you say, 7% of communication kind of is made through the words. It's how you react. And, and when you say anxiety is contagious, is it contagious because we, we, we interpret what we see in the behavior, that anxiousness, that sudden mm-hmm. shift from broad um, inviting conversations or words to, you know, there's a difference between, oh, you know what, that's a good point. Let's talk about it offline to, hey, we're not going to talk about that here. Right. And that's the like that, that's being opened. It's like okay, we understand that problem. Let's address it. Let's you feel heard, and then move into a way or to do something that allows everybody to express what their greatest concerns are. Bring them up. And I I learned a facilitation technique from liberating structures called wicked questions. Mm-hmm. Everybody in a room. I love that one. You 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 pull the people of what's really important. Put the thing up, and then people get to wander around and go, God, yeah, that's a real problem. Here's how I see it playing out. And then they start generating solutions. What can we do about it? And in a short period of time, everybody gets to speak. Everybody feels heard and it's focused on solution and you come up with stuff and then you go through and go, okay, out of these, what's feasible and what's really going to make a difference. And you can usually come up with one or two things the next week that you can start putting into place that are simple and have everybody go, okay, yep, that's what we're going to do and start moving in the right direction. It's funny because when I think about the wicked questions exercise out of it, people you know, immediately when I say, hey, we're going to try this, people are like, oh, my God, this is going to take hours. People aren't going to figure it out. It literally is a at best 20 minute conversation, depending on the size of the group, right. because the structure of all right, everybody post-it note or a write-up. What do you think are the toughest questions around us getting to from point A to point B? Small steps, big steps, whatever that looks like. Mm -hmm. And then to be able to see what everyone else is thinking and then say, oh, well, wait a minute, how does this work to this and this work to that? You know, and then come down to what's the one or two things we're going to do over set a time frame. So then it becomes those quote unquote smart goals, right? Leads Right. right into the smart goal. And you can even use the crowdsourcing technique. After you gather them all, you have five people rate from one to five. Ah, not a problem. Five big problem. 
And you're going to get weight on those as well as right. to how many people think without the bias in the room. Because yeah. what happens a lot of time in those situations, whoever's got the highest title, whoever speaks the loudest, whoever's the most persuasive will say one thing and everybody go, oh, yeah, yeah, that's it. Yeah. But this one is like a way to gather that information without letting one person's ideas or some to, to dictate what's there. One added thing on the di- difference between the, I want to say, distress, the fixed mindset and the growth mindset they talk about is attitude. So in the fixed mindset, it's be good, where growth mindsets, let's get better. Like there's a common compassion about what are we going to do? Like that was okay, but we can do better. In the fixed mindset, it's about proving like, okay, I got to prove myself where the other one is on improving. Mm-hmm. It's not just that I have to go, okay, yeah, I got it and we're done, but it's like, we did it and God, that was really awesome. But now what else can we do? Because think about it. There's so many things changing right now that are affecting companies that we have to continue to think about improving, but not from a negative standpoint, but just rolling with the new things coming in. Instead of demonstrating skills, we're working on developing skills. And I mm-hmm. think that's huge because I think there's this assumption that everybody's going to be perfect and they're not. Like when we go to make changes in culture, you're going to make a few mistakes along the way. And can you go, oh, sorry, wow, ooh, here's how we're going to work on together to make that one better next right. time, right? Right, right? That's the growth mindset versus we're trying to perform to be better than others where we're trying to perform so that I can be better, but that we as a team are going to get better. Right. And so those, those are just, again, things that we can talk about and start to create shifts in how we connect with people, how we see the things going on. And you literally could go down that list and go, am I this or am I that? Am I this or this? You could ask something like that in the, in terms of culture and go, are we more this or that? And go, well, we have some areas that we can work on and right. pick one. Here's the other problem. People go, oh, let's change the culture. And they pick eight things. And it's like, no, <laughs> I, I'm not going to make a shift in eight things. Right. It's coming down to the thing that we go, God, here's the most important thing that we're going to work on for the next six months. We really want you as an individual to pick how you feel you can represent to make this better. And then the other key in that is to acknowledge when we see it and go, oh my God, like so awesome. I know that was something you're working on. I see it. And that just goes, whoo, somebody saw that I made this difference. Awesome. Right. Then Which we is start- the recognition piece, but also it's the way you signal to everyone else. What's, what are we doing? What's okay to do? What is acceptable in our culture? And so it's not just, you know, I, I, I always, I hear these examples of recognition and they're generally, I mean, they're not bad. Don't get me wrong. Not bad at all. But we forget the signals that we're sending to everyone else because everybody wants to be recognized for good work. Yes. Everybody loves a compliment. Everybody loves when they catch it. And the great part is, is when stuff like that happens, as we know from our conversational intelligence, we're igniting the positive chemicals. Yeah. You know, and as we know, anxiety, things that trigger cortisol, threats, uh, lack of trust, Mm -hmm. bring up the negative ones. And if we don't find ways to stop people from ruminating on that, Mm -hmm. we have like this negative chemical stuff running and it can run for 12 to 24 hours. If two people get together and they don't find a way to resolve the whatever conflict they had, the next time they're together, that's right back in the room. The negative chemicals are there and like, yeah. So what do we have to do? We have to create five positive interactions, six positive interactions of culture 
to start countering the one that we had that was potentially negative. And Interesting in- what you said um, when you said that as I was listening to, I can't think of the person's name, so I apologize for not giving attribution, but it stuck with me because what they said was in the 18 to like 33, 35 year olds globally, not just in the U.S., but globally are having some sort of major depressive issues. Oh, God, I read them. that one too. Actually, I've yeah. read it in three different places. Yeah. I mean, so let's, you know, and earlier we talked about the contagion of anxiety. So imagine at some point, because we've, this is at, at that age in many industries, that's where people are getting their first leadership experience. This is where they are learning to be leaders. This is where they are trying to manage what their home values were and what their their experiences from home now interacting with the broader world and now having to take that on to talk to other people and to be in a place of authority with other individuals. And if they're having depression, they're dealing with anxiety, they're dealing with body dysmorphia, all of these things that say I'm not good enough. Yeah. Imagine how that's affecting your culture. How is that leading? What are those behaviors that they're exhibiting at the level where those are your front line? Those are the people who who make it happen. Yep. And if we're not addressing the the need for mental health, the need for mental wellness. In fact, I met a woman uh, this weekend. She calls it mental wealth, wealthness um, in the process. Sherry, um, <laughs> Sherry James is her name. If, if we're not af- addressing that as part of our values and our culture and how we decide yeah. around our culture, that's like a hidden bomb that's going off all over the place. Yeah. I've got a, a smaller client that I've been working with recently and she just says, gosh, she said, it's so hard in a small business because I feel like I have to educate my people in emotional interaction. They just don't know how to deal with conflict and they'll get people that they're standing or they're working, you know, 30 minutes longer doing a job than they want to. And they go and they blow up at their manager because they're upset. Yeah. She's like, what do we do? And I said, you're going to have to train that individual to have a voice for themselves and to start recognizing that, hey, if I've been standing here too long, I have the ability to go and express to a manager or somebody standing there that says, hey, I need a break. Boundaries. Like they don't know how to they don't know how to do some of those simple things. And so yeah. it creates these just waves. And we've been working with her to implement just small things. So she's taken, for example, Brene has the five C's yeah. and then she's got another group she's worked with. But The managers literally have, here's things that we walk through. If there's a problem, let's step back. The employee is empowered to look at what those things are. They're empowered to look at it. And they have now a method to try to break down what happened, how did it happen, and what are we going to do different? Putting something physically in their hands to say, here's how we're going to solve that problem. Mm -hmm. Instead of assuming that they have the skill set. And it takes the pressure off to go like, I have to do this to you, or you have to do, do whatever. Like, hey, let's just sit and walk through this. And she said in their first test of it has had transformational ability for leaders who don't have the skill set to bring things down to a level that they can talk about it. And we got to empower people that way if they don't. And and what I love about that is now the leader is role modeling, not just what's acceptable in the culture, but they're actually role modeling that it's okay to learn constantly. 
and that we're going to support you. And it also now, because, you know, now when when uh, executives, you know, the, the thing I fight the most is executives always saying, you know, well, we really don't have money for this culture stuff. We don't really have money for, you know, this personal whatever. But, yeah, but- and then I turn it around and say, OK, well, you got new hires coming in here. How long are they in training to learn how to use your product or sell your product or help a customer? Oh, my God, we spend an enormous amount of money on that. I said, yet you only are getting one third the value out of that. Because unless I know how to interact, unless I understand how to regulate my emotional state, that training is pretty much wasted. Absolutely. And I just read a new article um, that's really getting into emotions, not not just individual emotions, but what is the landscape of your team? And they've looked at this. It used to be, okay, let's bring everybody into the same emotional state. And I've seen this where they have the little bell, they ting, they want to bring everybody into this perfect state of what's yeah. going on. And what they've discovered is that's not always best. Why? Because if you bring everybody into the same emotional state, you've re- re- reduced the diversity in the group, uh-huh. made them all conform to the same standard. And so what they talk about is what is the job that needs to be done? Is it innovation? We want diversity. Is it execution? No, maybe in execution, we want people to be in the steady state. So the call center, we want people to be in a certain state for doing that. Absolutely. And so then you have to work with helping people understand where their emotions are and how to align those motions. So I got a worker that comes in and they were almost in an accident on the way in and they're like running a hundred miles an hour. Ooh, we need to do a check-in and say, Hey, okay, let me give you a few more minutes. Cause you're not ready to hit the floor because we do need to bring them in, in that case, because we need them in the certain thing. But, you know, think about right now with these hybrids and we're meeting in zoom. I, I teach a lot of my classes with Brene and zoom. And so we have a check-in emotionally. We're not present. Mm-hmm. We can't mm-hmm. pick up on, oh God, Denise is a little tired today or Denise is really excited today. We don't pick up on that. So we do an emotional check-in where they just say, give your top two. And it's amazing when people start it. it's really awkward. It's really hard. Like, God, I don't know. Where am I at? What am I doing? And now all of a sudden they start to become more aware of right. And I provide them with, you know, like Mark Brackett's emotional check-in. I have something from a couple other people that have umbrellas or whatever, you know, just different ones every time, but to have that moment where people can go, here's where I'm at and here's my space. Yeah. Because when you do that, then people go, Oh God, Denise is tired. So if you got, you know, a little short in the conversation, I'm not going to go, Oh God, Denise was just really short with me. Ah, I know Denise was short because she's got these other things going on. And so we have to have this ability. And again, that's emotional raising to understand where we're at. And I think in the beginning of COVID, people were really good about starting to do check-ins for the first time. Right. And then we decided, oh, we're going to come back to work. Oh, no, we don't need to do check-ins anymore. Right. Well, we lost that. Right. And so how do we, how do we consciously go? What is the emotion? What's the emotional state that's going to serve us best? Is diversity okay? You know, we don't all have to be happy. We make better decisions when we're critical. And to be able to accept critical without, or hear something critical without it triggering me. Exactly. That's the that's the key. It's because some people, you know, naturally they see the glass half full and they're just going to come in that way. But the question becomes that when they start saying this isn't going to work, that isn't going to work, this isn't going to work. What does it do to you 
And can you regulate your emotions so that you just hear the words, but don't get tied up with, oh, my God, I'm but but this is the possibility and this is it. And we could do this. And why are you bringing the room down? And so there again, we go back to, as Brene talks about, what are the tools we need in our toolbox? Right. And when we start getting a sense that that's what's going on, a leader needs to go, whoa, wait a minute, let's let's instill a facilitation technique here yeah. of some kind that is going to allow me to get a pulse without that attacking the other person right? so that we can bring the ideas into the room in a way that it's an idea and it's on the wall. It's mm-hmm. not Susie's. It's not Johnny's. It's, mm-hmm. it's not somebody's. It's the idea on the wall right now. Mm-hmm. And it's been voted as being important. So now we can address it and not you. Yes. And I think that's really hard right now because a lot of times we get in and someone expresses it. And it's like, if I don't like your idea, then I don't like you. That's rancor. I call that rancor. You know, we have disagreement, we have conflict, and then we have rancor. Rancor is when the the argument or the disagreement or the discussion is personalized. And that's when emotion, you know, you just lose it. And and it's interesting because we think we can control that emotion. Well, I'm not going to take it personal. Can't do it. You are taking it personal. End of subject. It's going to happen. And if it's not in that room... It's going to happen as soon as that conversation is down. Did they, who did they think they are talking to me like this? Oh, my goodness. You know, how could they treat me like, like that? Do they think I'm an idiot? You know, all those little conversations show up. Yeah. Adam Grant, in his book, Think Again, brings it up. And he says it is really sad that something that is a task turns personal. Mm-hmm. Like if a task isn't carried out the right way or it's not carried out in time, or something's not happening, that we turn it into a personal affront. Yeah. And, you know, it's simple even in relationships. Like, mm, my husband brings me tea in the morning. Mm -hmm. And some morning he doesn't bring me tea. And I go, God, he didn't bring me tea. He doesn't love me anymore. (laughs) Or, Or he must be pissed off at me. He didn't bring me tea in the morning. Like, I now assign a personal something to the task. And because I have created that in my head, the next interaction with I, I have, if I think he's pissed off or I think he hasn't liked me, I'm going to now respond to him with that state. Well, there's the one in the workplace that I love. OK, <laughs> there are some people who just need structure. They, you know, yeah. they put the plan out. They hold on tightly to that structure. We have to do this. We have to do this to do this. And then as all things change, I mean, they do. They do. So I go to them and say, hey. We, we need to adjust this because it doesn't take into these things. Man, do they lock down. <laughs> <laughs> what you told me. Oh, my God. They lock down. The argument gets up. You're like, whoa, whoa, whoa. It's a simple little, you know, we just uh-huh. we need to take in this information. Well, no, 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 we can't. We can't do that. This is the way it is. And, and if you do that, then this over here, I'm going to my system is going to break. And it's, that, now it's not even you've lost the whole point. The conversation is totally out of that control. is the example of the fixed versus growth mindset that affects the culture. Yeah, that is bringing it down to the little moment where culture is defined. And how do we now address that particular situation or that person to help them move from that fixed to the growth? And the person who is in a growth mindset to understand that you're not wrong because this blew up, okay? Or it didn't go the way you think it should have gone. You know, Denise, this was such a great conversation. I hope that if people were listening and there was something that sparked an interest in them and they want more, 
get them to send you a note, get them to reach out to us and say, I want more of this. Like, help me unpack this. Where did you get that information? Whatever. Have it sent to us because let's take a deeper dive. Like we hit the surface. And if there's something sparked in somebody, let's go deeper. You got it. And if you want to send it, you can send it to, I'm on LinkedIn. There'll be uh, a way and a link in the show notes that you can click on and go. But and that may not be good because most of us listen to podcasts on our mobile. But if you if you really have something, send it to info one i n f o one at r l l e s s o n s. Remarkable leadership lessons. Hey, that's a wrap. Thank you again from the bottom of my heart for listening to this podcast. Please leave comments below. I'd love to know what you're thinking. If you liked it, share it. If you didn't like it, share it, because I guarantee it's going to start a conversation that will help you close the gap. I want to thank the C-Suite Radio Network for hosting my podcast. It is the largest network dedicated to the growth and development of leaders worldwide. I'd also like to thank Ivan G. Hall for the music that you are currently enjoying. Hey, check him out. He's really a great musician. And finally, I have two other requests. One is, please, please, please leave a review on this, either on Apple or Google or wherever you get your podcast. And the other is, don't forget, please look up my book, Remarkable Leadership Lessons, Change Results, One Conversation at a Time. It's available on Amazon and Barnes & Noble in paperback, as well as Kindle versions. And with that, it's a wrap. Talk to you next week. Bye.